as they, as they go off to class. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57 today. We're going to be discussing that a lot. Uh, but just so you know, if you're a note taker, uh, today will be a little bit different. You're going to have a lot of notes uh, in the sense of a lot of verses. Uh, there's going to be a lot coming at you. And I first want to apologize to the AV team. I sent a bunch of verses to them, so they'll try to keep stuff on there. Uh, but also, uh, I'm already apologizing because I added some more and I moved some around. So good luck. Uh, so no, uh, just, so, uh, uh, just to give us a... There's going to be a lot of scripture. I think it's going to be a poignant lesson today. Uh, we just sort of read it. It says, oh, death, where's your sting? And what does that truly mean? What is that? What are we really talking about? And so let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I didn't fully understand what this meant as a kid, but I always thought it was really cool saying, where, oh, death is your victory. Like, bring it on. It's like, it was that, and I was like, oh, that's such a cool. So to be able to speak on it, to be able to do that. But I'm excited because I think we need to know a little bit more of what the context is. Context is king. It, it decides a lot of what does this truly mean for us and how, to, how, how does Paul get to talking about this. So the past few weeks leading up to Easter and after Easter, we did the royal entrance. And then on Easter Sunday, we did death and resurrection. And then last week, we talked about running the race. And that's the starting line, the running form and then the finishing line. So today, we get to talk about the fun topic of death. Everyone, yes. Why is not everyone super excited? Awesome, okay. Uh, and we're going to be talking about death, though, and not and how, what Paul's saying, but not just Paul. What is Scripture saying? What is, what is going on here in 1 Corinthians 15? I don't know if you know this or not, but all of us will face death. Unless your name's Elijah, and then that's a totally different story for another time. Uh, that's a different rabbit hole. But even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, died. But he conquered it. So let's dig in. Per, point number one, supernatural. Supernatural. First, we need to know the setting and the thinking of the time. The Jewish people and also the Gentiles of that time, what they thought of non-humans, what they thought of non-humans. During that time, we really do have to look at what the Bible says about this, about the supernatural. What's really interesting is us as believers, we believe that Jesus died, literally died, and three days later rose again. But then when we start talking about other supernatural stuff in the, uh, the Bible, we're like, eh, that sounds weird. That sounds, well, we, we got to actually look at it. What's it say? How, what's it uh, talking about? So in that time, Gentiles and Greco thinkers, they believed that gods had bodies, okay? Not just spirit. They weren't just floating around, but they weren't just flesh and blood as well. 
An example would be like that of Aphrodite's, that of Zeus. You know, they had stuff. But, the, but what could also happen is their gods could be wounded. Correct? They could be wounded. They could be hurt. Israel, uh, their gods also had bodies. Not just spirit, not flesh and blood, but their spirits could be embodied. And, and there's also this other thing going on here, and I want us to take a look at and what the first verse is, Genesis 1, 20, 1.27 is, So God created man. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. So there's this image that is being represented. That is not a royal being. There's this human. We're in the image of God. There's this humans are this flesh, blood from the earth. But there's something else. There's God, and then there's these divine beings going on here. Humans are in the image of God to represent God. There's also something else that would be happening here is God was really against idols. What would the other gods do? They would build idols. They would have wood pieces. They would have these so the other gods could like rest there or, or, or be that way. And why was God so against those kind of things? is you can't make a wood piece of God. He made the image into you, into humans. And so that's the image of God. And I just want us to get thinking this, that there's, different, there's these different concepts here. So let's give some examples of what Scripture says about divine beings being embodied. There's a link of the angel of the Lord leading Israel through the Exodus. There's the transfiguration. So you're at transfiguration. Jesus is up on a mountain. And who shows up next to him? Mo Moses and Elijah. They're there. It, they're there so much that Peter says this in Matthew 17, 4. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Shocker. What a sight. Like, yeah, this is a really cool moment. Like this, yeah, this is awesome for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's seeing these men in the bright clouds. He's not seeing some vision. He is seeing these, these figures. And he's like, I need to build a shelter. We need to be here. We need to be here in this moment. He's actually seeing people that have died and are alive. Genesis 18, 1 through 3 says this, the Lord appeared to him. He appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mari. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran, to the, uh, uh, ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by my servant. If we skip to verse 22, it then says, And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. These are embodied supernatural instances in the scripture. Another big one that's, uh, that happens is Ezekiel 1, 23 through uh, 28. I'm not, I'll, I'll skip down a little bit. The first part of 22 is talking about the cherubim and uh, the figures of what, uh, a man. 
And so what is happening here, then we'll skip down to verse 25. It says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over the heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of the lapless lasuli, which is a, a wisdom stone. It's a blue hue. It's a beautiful thing. And the, but this is what I want us to look at. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire. The brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of the one speaking." I just want us to get a little bit of those sayings in our brain from the Old Testament of what's happening. The appearance of the likeness of glory of the Lord. High above the throne was a figure like that of a man. You're starting to see that there's this supernatural world that aware there when angels can take embodiment, when other people have died like Moses and Elijah, there is this embodiment that is happening. So when we get to where we're at in 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to understand these people knew what was happening, what was going on. But this leads to our next point. It says, what about our bodies? We know there's this supernatural world, but what about our bodies? Because that's what's being asked here to get to the point. Paul is going to answer this question. What is the nature of the resurrected bodies? Because that's the, the question here. In uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 35, leading up to where will be death is conquered. It says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now, Paul is very sweet and kind here. He basically says, foolish one, or how foolish. But the Greek says, fools, with an exclamation point. Fools. Because what I think is happening is Paul says, sometimes we get distracted of what the main focus is. We get distracted of the main point in which Paul will answer, but Paul's going to even answer this question. Paul is going to answer the questionnaires. He says this, you foolish, in verse 36 through 37, you foolish person, what you sow does not come from life unless it dies. And what you sow, uh, sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind a seed of its own body. Guzik puts it this way. He goes, Paul is saying that our bodies are like seeds which grow into resurrected bodies. When we bury the body of a believer... You are sowing a seed that will come out of the earth at resurrection, uh, as a resurrected body. Spurgeon puts it like this. Spurgeon says this. Truly, it is never a pleasant sound that rattle on the clay upon a coffin lid. Earth to earth, dust to dust, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, nor to the farmer. For its own sake, would it be a very pleasant thing to put his grain in the dull, cold earth. Yet, I troll, no farmer ever weeps when he sows his seed. We, it's a great example. 
I don't think it's always fun planting flowers. My dad loves it. It annoys me. Because when I was a kid, we had to go out and help him plant. I didn't like going out there and helping plant. I'd rather play ball. I'd rather push my brothers around. Do anything except put the seed in. But I'll tell you, when it came up, I was there first in line to eat. I was there for the raspberries. I was there because now it's produced. At death, we go into the ground dust to dust. But at resurrection, new life, beauty. Paul continues to talk about different bodies in the reading leading uh, back up. So he talks about, in the next couple of verses, the flesh of men, the flesh of animals, birds, fish, sensual, uh, sensual, uh, sensual beings, and those. That, and, but we get to verse 40, this is what he says, and this is why I was uh, using those past verses. In verse 40, he said this, There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. And the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. It's a lot of in glories there. Probably pulling back to explain something. God created each one with its own glory in its right environment and position. So when it's talking about glory, it's in the right position. The sun is in its right spot, correct? The moon is in its right spot. The earth is in its right spot. If we were at different axes, two degrees or whatever, we wouldn't be existing here. Things are put in its right perspective and glory. Just like right now, our present bodies are perfect in its stage for this environment. Where we're at right now and our time on this earth. And our resurrected bodies will be adopted for the environment of eternity in heaven. As we continue on, this is continued by Paul discussing in verse 47 through 49, the two different atoms. He says this, The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have bore the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. How cool is that? Because we we're supposed to bear the image. This is, this is going back to Genesis. We are to bear the image, and we are now going to bear the image of Jesus of the man of heaven. How amazing, awesome, mind-blowing, cool, and honoring it is that we will be conformed to him, like him, even in his body. Get this right. We aren't him, but we will bear his image, just like Jesus was post-resurrection. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. Here's the deal. How many of us live that way? That our citizenship is in heaven. I think too many times we live mixed. Our citizenship is in Him. Our bodies will be in Him. All of us will be in Him. Our bodies will be transformed. If our bodies will be transformed at one day, if we really believe this, should we fear anything right now? Should we fear for our bodies? Should we fear for anything? If we really believed our bodies are going to be transformed, we have citizenship in heaven, that heaven, everything will be made anew, everything will be made right, would, should we fear now? I think we do fear. And I don't think we're supposed to. Our bodies will be like that of Jesus. I think we have to take a look at Luke 24, 39 says this. It says, look at, this is Jesus revealing himself after he has died and rose again to his disciples. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. We will be like the resurrected Jesus with his body. He floated through a door. Do I know how the DNA works with that? No, they did not put that in the scripture. But the resurrection, we are going to be like an image of Christ. Resurrected bodies. But for this to happen, Jesus had to die. And this leads to where we're at. Point number three, death is defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? As I was digging into this, I, I saw Sigmund Freud wrote a comment in a commentary, and he said, uh, said this. He says, And finally, there is a painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. It's quite different than what Paul just says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There is a quite a different contrast. Death is swallowed up. A resurrected body, a res your resurrected body will not go in an old, used corpse. It is in a new order of life that will never die again. Death has been defeated. Paul is basically mocking death. Because of Jesus' death, you have lost your power. None of you have ever been mocked, have you? Okay, this is another sports story, but it's not really play sports. It's basically a little bit of mockery. I we played at Leo High School, ACAC. We used to play the uh, tournament uh, every December. We would play at Memorial Coliseum. We'd have the tournament there. Well, my... Senior year, we're playing in the tournament, and we're playing against, oh yeah, Brad Boyles. <laughs> playing. They led most of the game. We were supposed to win. They led most of the game. And then at the end of the game, though, we pulled up. We got up about by eight and about 30 seconds left, and they didn't foul. Okay? So we're going to win. 
And so I'm at half court dribbling. Yeah, I got a big smile on my face like, yeah, we won. Uh, he played a lot better than I did. I'm just, though, like, yeah, sort of like letting everyone, hey, we're the winning team. I didn't find out about this afterwards, but then after the game, I guess they were pretty upset in the locker room. They were slamming some lockers, and one of the guys said, yeah, I can't stand the one guy at half court smiling, that joker. <laughs> so, come back. I don't know about this. Come back. I find out I have uh, a college roommate that's friends with Brad. Friends with Brad. And so I'm going to be this guy's roommate. And I'm like, of course, this was weird. I get a call. This is how my college life happened. I get it. Oh, this is going to be my roommate, Josh Zerker. I think I know him. But his address is 666 West Main Street. I got a little scared. I was like, maybe, maybe, what are you doing, God? So I decided to call him. I call him. He, uh, he goes, this is literally the first time our conversation happened. I'm just like, hey, uh, is this Josh Zerker? He goes, yeah, hold on one second. I just electrocuted myself. It's like, who is this guy? What is happening? I guess he was down in the basement with like a foot of water changing a light bulb. Those are my friends. So let's get back to the story. He finds out I'm his, uh, his roommate. Well, he knew the story, so he calls Brad. He calls off his buddies. He goes, you're never going to guess who I'm roommates with. The Joker. <laughs> so for the first two years of college, I was called the Joker. Even though I love Batman and Superman, I was their, the enemy. <laughs> they mocked me with my name, and they not mocked me with that all the time. This is a little bit different mockery. This is calling straight out, death, where's your sting? Because you have none anymore. It's over. It's done. Death is defeated. Also, what is great here is Paul is referring to Hosea 13, 14. And this is what it says in Hosea 13, 14. It says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? <laughs> Israel had sin. It is still in judgment. And they, they were still in not great position. But they were not anywhere near the power, glory, majesty of God's beautiful redemption plan and protection of them. So death and the grave are mocked as defeated foes. I'm using another quote from Spurgeon because this is what he says. He goes, I will not fear thee, death. Why should I? Thou looketh like a dragon, but thy sting is gone. Thou teeth are broken, O old lion. Wherefore should I fear thee? I know thou art no more able to destroy me. But thou art set as a messenger to conduct me to the golden gate wherein I shall enter and see my Savior's unveiling face forever. Expiring saints, that's believers, have often said that their last beds have been their best they have ever slept upon. Death 
brings you to the glory of Jesus Christ if you're a believer. Death brings you to the Savior. So where's the fear? Where's the death? But those that don't know Jesus, death still has a sting. Death still brings pain. When death becomes a realistic possibility, and it is for all of us at all times, but there are certain moments where it becomes more real. Don't people always try to figure out how to live longer? I got to eat healthier. Got to get to the gym more. I got to do this. And I find it even interesting. We have had a mental issue in our country where a lot more people are committing suicide. And people are fighting to even control the time they could do it. But it's another thing we can control. It's another thing. We want to control another aspect of our life. We want to control our health. We want to control I want to do this. This is how I want to do that. Death doesn't have a sting for believers. But for the people of the world, it still does. Paul is saying there is no sting. So live like it. I think sometimes it's hard to, in the sense, the fact that we know we deserve that sting. We know we're sinners. We know we've failed. But the thing is, is if we truly trust God, if we truly trust Jesus as a Savior for everything, it's been taken away. And we need not live like that. And the sting of death is that of sin. And this sin is the ultimate cause of death. I, I like this quote. Um, Paul Washer, he can be sort of a harsh, uh, but I like when he quotes this one thing. He goes, he goes, a lot of times we love telling people, God loves you. God loves you. And in this American culture, now Paul Washer says, it works really well because people of this world go, that's awesome. Because I love me too. I'm awesome. I'm a pretty cool guy. Like, God loves us. Well, that makes sense because I love me too. And we forget that we need to repent, turn, give everything over to him. It's all his. Trust in him. We need to have trust that he's going to take care of our bodies. Trust that he's going to take care of us through ups and downs. This body's our bodies. And so death has been defeated, but through death is what life is. And so that's why it pushes so much for us that we have to die to ourselves. And that leads to point number four. Now what? Okay, we know all this information. Now what? What, is, what are we supposed to do for the? Well, let's look at what Paul's really getting at here. Verse 58, he talks about, and this is a powerful word, therefore. Therefore is always a powerful word in the sense that what happened before it affects what's happening now. And so what we've been going through is there, it goes, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're supposed to stand firm. 
just as Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, he says, And he said to all, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Dead to the world, and we must sow to regrow. Why was Jesus saying, pick up your cross and follow me? Do you know that, how did Israel kill people back in that day? They didn't kill people by the cross. Stoning. They killed by stoning. Okay? Why is Jesus using the cross here? He's using it because it is exactly what he went through of total death, total giving up. It was total vulnerability. It was everything to carry your cross, to be humiliated, to be able to be able to carry it. Do you carry the cross? Do you stand firm? Because we know there's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Are you shaken? Are you unshaken? And our actions matter throughout time. I loved our discussion downstairs during Sunday school today. We were talking about just do, do our simple actions matter? And they could ripple throughout time. Doug told a story of one person just about it that the church um, uh, the church being able to say hey you only found one person to find christ like that's not enough well that person went on to minister all throughout africa like does the does the one does jesus not go after the one lost sheep he goes after the one well, i think we have to start looking at do we carry the cross do our actions matter throughout time we have to be steadfast we have to be immovable second corinthians 5 17 says this therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come if you are in christ you are dead to yourself We've been talking about death a lot. If you are in Christ, you are dead to yourself. Are you dead to yourself? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This leads also to Romans 6, 3 through 5. Because I think this affects what Paul says as well. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I know that I've it's not a fun topic. It's not like one where I can play a bunch of videos of things dying and like it's not. But I, I want us to know that we are, are dead to ourselves. If we are in Christ, we are baptized in Christ, but we are alive with him. We are alive in him. Jesus, just like Jesus was embodied post-resurrection, 
we too will be just like him in the image of him. Dr. Heiser says it's flesh transcendent, our flesh made superior, because no one's come up with really a good word for it, what it really is. But I think that we do have to look at ourselves in a couple aspects of how we look at it. I want you to look at your future. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to know that death has no victory. And I want you to know that he lives through you. Don't get me wrong. Death hurts on this side. We've lost loved ones, haven't we? We've lost hurt ones. We've been there. We've cried. We've weeped. We know people about that. And I get that. But I also know that I'm going to see them again. I also know that there's some that are in the judgment of God. And I want to be steadfast. I want to share Christ with more so that they too will have new bodies. They too will be restored. They too will know of what it is to be alive and not dead. We need to be steadfast. I'm going to end with the verse, and I know I've thrown a lot of verses at you, but it's just so beautiful, and there's so many I've kept out. But John 12, 23 through 25 says this, Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There are too many times where we love this world. It's too many times. that we love our own life. We must lose it. And we will keep it for eternity because we trust in Him. Are you steadfast? Do you live as if death has no victory? Do you live knowing death has no victory? Because I guarantee you, Stephen, Stephen, when Paul and those are killing him, he lived it. I see Jesus at the right hand of God. Do you not think Paul lived with that for the rest of his life? That he knew? That he knew. But Stephen was willing to give up his body. Stephen played a part into Paul reaching throughout the world in time. So many of us would have looked back and been like, why wasn't Stephen the one that did it? Stephen gave up his life for the gospel, for the word, for the truth, and his life right now, when he died, he was with the Savior. He was good. 
And what we thought was bad, God used for good. And then Paul was affected by that the rest of his ministry. And Paul went out. Are you willing to, everyone wants to be like, oh, I want to be this great pastor. I want to be this great, like, I want to be known. I want to write books. I want to do this. Do you want to be Stephen? Do you want to be Paul? Those are more legit questions. And there are questions sometimes I say, uh, I'd rather have a book. <laughs> but I want to bow my knee to him. And if doing that, it might be one day being a Stephen, being something where death has no sting. Let's pray. Learning Father, I just pray right now that we all deal with death. All of us have dealt it on multiple sides. And I pray that you right now show up with people. I don't know what people are going through. Maybe they've lost a loved one recently or they've gone through in some different area. I just pray that you give them peace. You give them understanding. You give them protection. You give them steadfastness. You give them love. You give them endurance. And may us right now, may we share the love of your life and love of your cross, death, resurrection to others so that they can also see it. And as we worship, may we just worship your unfailing love, knowing that one day that we will be with you. We love you, we praise you, and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.